0: Good morning. Welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. Today is Epiphany Sunday. It is the Sunday closest to Epiphany, the date of which is always January 6th. It is the day when we welcome the wise men. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for joining us for worship. Will you join me in reading responsively our call to worship, which is based on our scripture lessons for today from the second chapter of Matthew's Gospel and also the 60th chapter of Isaiah. Light, 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 and more light. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of God has risen upon you. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, wise men came from the east, saying, Where is he who is born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. The wonderful light of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, and also with you. Let us unite our voices in our opening prayer. God of all people and all places, like the Magi, we would journey into the presence of Jesus the Christ. There we would offer our gifts. Before Christ, we would lay the realities of our lives, good and bad. We offer our joy and love and laughter that they might be made holy we relinquish our bitterness and hatred and worry that we might be made whole once more through the living spirit of Christ. Amen. I'd like to ask for the attention of the children for the children's time. Well, last week we talked about the shepherds. And this week we are talking about the Magi, or the Wise Men. We celebrate the coming of the Wise Men on January 6th every year, on a day that we call Epiphany. Now, some people think that the Wise Men arrived really quickly at the manger, but they came from so far away that scholars think that it might have taken up to two years for them to arrive. Um, when they get to Bethlehem, they find Jesus not in a manger and not in a stable, but in a house. That's what scripture says. The other odd thing about uh, what we know about wise men is we don't really know how many there were. There were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we we just traditionally have have assumed that there were three wise men, one for each gift, but... We don't actually know how many they were, there were. They're not named or numbered in scripture. But the question that has always captivated me is, what made the wise men wise? Um, we know that they were astrologers that came from the East. So is it that they were educated men? Is it that they were from foreign lands and had traveled widely? travel is a very broadening experience? I don't think so though. I think what made the wise men wise is that they were still searching, they were still seeking. The wisest people I know are still asking questions, still know that they don't know all of the answers, and still really try to learn from everyone they meet, no matter how old they are, no matter where they've come from, they they try to learn everything that they can from the per- people that god places in their midst and that's i think what makes the wise men wise they didn't just see the star in the sky and shrug their shoulders and try to explain it they went searching to find out what it pointed to and what it meant so that's why i think the wise men were wise cuz they were still seeking they were still searching And I hope that you'll do the same, because I really do think that that makes life a whole lot more interesting and a whole lot more meaningful. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to seeing you next Sunday. As we prepare to hear God's holy word, let us pray. Spirit of God, in the proclamation of your word, reveal to us the hidden mystery of your love in Christ and strengthen our faith that we may serve you with boldness, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is found in the 60th chapter of Isaiah, beginning with the first verse. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They will gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephath. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the second chapter of Matthew's gospel, beginning with the first verse. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me words so that I also may go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. Once, when I was preparing a sermon for Epiphany Sunday... I complained to my dad that it was hard to write a sermon about wise men since it's hardly a relatable story. It's not like we all have wise men showing up at our homes. What do you mean, he asked. I've been to your house. I think we can all agree I walked right into that one. But the wise men are by far the most exotic characters in the Christmas story. They are favorites in many nativity scenes because of the awesome costumes, the the long colorful robes and the elaborate headpieces and of course their curious gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Ancient tradition is that they arrived in Bethlehem 12 days after the child was born, although scholars say it was probably 2 years later and they find Jesus not in a stable but in a house. The day of the arrival of the wise men is called Epiphany. Its symbol is the star they followed. And many places in the Christian world and in Orthodox churches, Epiphany is a bigger celebration than Christmas. Gifts are given and received, remembering the gifts of the Magi. Rise, shine, for your light has come. The prophet Isaiah wrote the people at the time were in exile under house arrest, essentially in Babylon, miles and miles away from home. They had been there for a generation and it looked like they would never get to go back home. It was a time, as our scripture lesson says, of deep and thick darkness. But the prophet writes to them, rise, shine, God is about to do a new thing. Your circumstances are about to change and your fortunes are about to improve dramatically. There's light now in the darkness, but you can't just sit there moping, feeling sorry for yourself. It's time to stand up, time to get ready to move, time to take charge of your lives again. You are no longer helpless victims. There is light in your darkness now, and so it's time for you to shine. That is the message of Epiphany, the time after Christmas, the time for the light of Christ to shine on our faces. It is the day of the first star followers, the magi, the wise men. But two gifted and eloquent writers, Barbara Brown Taylor and the late William Placker, weren't about trivializing and sentimentalizing what is an important Christian story, one that will become stunningly tragic before it is over. The Magi come from the East. That is Persia, modern-day Iran, or Babylon, modern Iraq, or Arabia, now Saudi Arabia, names of oil-rich nations that are always wrangling politically and militarily. Wise men is a very loose translation of magi, mysterious priestly astrologers who observed and recorded the movements of the stars and who were widely believed to have secret knowledge based on their scholarship. Kings and powerful people would often consult them seeking their advice and, and knowledge. They were not kings, although the gifts that they brought indicate a familiarity with wealth and royalty. There were three gifts, but there may have been two or 20 magi. They are not actually named or numbered in Matthew's gospel. They saw something in the western sky, a, a, a new star, a close configuration of planets, something that signaled that a new king had been born. And so they decided to investigate, to find the royal infant and pay homage to him. So they headed west. They followed that star, heading for the logical place in the west for a royal king to be born, the royal palace in Jerusalem, where the reigning king was Herod, called Herod the Great. Herod was a Jewish king, he was the king of the Jews. Rome allowed him to remain in power and to rule so long as he collected Rome's taxes and understood who ultimately was in charge. He was a builder and you can still visit the remains of his many palaces and fortresses. He was also, one biblical scholar says, one of history's most hysterical megalomaniacs. He was incredibly cruel, particularly when it came to anyone or anything he regarded as a threat to his own authority and position. He ordered the execution of two of his own children. He arranged for the execution of prominent citizens in every town on the occasion of his own death so that there would be appropriate mourning throughout the land. Back in Rome, Caesar was said to have remarked that he would rather be Herod's pig than his son. His informers tell him of the approaching magi, and he grants them an audience. They have come to welcome and worship a new king. That's what they tell the current king, and they assume that the new king is here, that he's in the nursery, of the royal palace, that he is Herod's new son. But there's no newborn in the palace. Herod's paranoia is awakened. He calls in his own advisors and consultants and says, say, the long-promised Messiah, the true king, if he were born, where would that be exactly? Well, his advisors know the Bible. Why? Why? Bethlehem, not far from here, Bethlehem in Judea, David's birthplace. That's what the Bible says. So Herod brings the Magi back, tells them what the Hebrew prophet Micah had predicted, sends them down the road to Bethlehem, and asks them to stop back in again on their way home and tell him where the baby is so that he, the current king, can go and and bow down before his replacement. Well, the Magi were indeed wise because they paid attention to a dream in which God warned them not to return to Herod the Great. They go to Bethlehem, and they find the child with his mother and father. They present their gifts, and they head back home, but by a different route. They trick Herod and When he discovers that this has happened, he flies into a rage, and in one of the most brutal incidents in the Bible, Herod has his soldiers go to Bethlehem and and, and to assure that they eliminate this new king has them kill all the infants and children in Bethlehem under two years of age. Well, Joseph and Mary, having themselves been warned in a dream, have fled to Egypt. And so Jesus begins his life as a refugee, far from home. When Herod dies, maybe a year or two later, the family moves again all the way north, all the way past Jerusalem, north to Nazareth, where the story began with their engagement and that mysterious angel. The Magi are outsiders. They are Aliens, they are Gentiles in a Jewish story. That's not an insignificant detail. Matthew, at the outset of his gospel, introduces Jesus by telling about the Gentiles at the manger. It's a story that shatters religious tradition and rules and brings outsiders inside. Think about that. Think about the implications for the church, for Intercultural, interfaith understanding in a world where the three Abrahamic faiths, in particular, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, are often cast as enemies and, and often tragically act like enemies. It's stunning to realize that right here in this very Jewish story, the very first story in the very first gospel, the first visitation, the first witnesses are Gentiles. Before the story is over, Jesus is going to shatter a lot of boundaries. Boundaries of race and social class and status and gender and religious authority. Before the story is over, all the outsiders, the marginalized, the poor, the sinners, the unclean, the tax collectors, the prostitutes and lepers, women and children, foreigners, Roman centuriers, centurions, all of them outsiders, will be welcomed into his company and to his table. Before the story is over, Jesus will will scandalize the most deeply pious and devout religious leaders of his day, the most orthodox and moral, with his radical inclusivity. Jesus tore down the walls. He crossed all the boundaries. He opens all the doors and will welcome anyone who will come to him. And he will die with his arms outstretched to embrace the whole world. I have to think the Magi, who were very learned people, had probably seen a lot of everything there was to see and and had all kinds of opinions about what was possible and and assumed that, that power and authority resided in a king's palace, resided in political and military might. I imagine that they were well-acquainted with the truth of the great philosophers and scholars, but I love that they come seeking anyway, and they find the Christ child and begin to embrace the concept that real power and real authority can be found in vulnerable love. I also wonder what life was like for them after that, as they looked upon that shining star when they left, how did the light of Christ shine in their faces and in their lives? It's a moment for them that I imagine was sustaining ever after. I think about them and I think about what their lives were like afterward every, every year at this time. And when I do, it reminds me that That's really the case for all of us. How does the light of Christ shine through our faces and through our lives? Because on that night, but not only on that night, but also in the daily experience of Christian living, coming together to worship and sing and study and eat and serve meals and and to give, in our shared life together, we have seen God, you and I, and nothing will ever be the same for us. How do we convey that? How do we convey the light of Christ in our faces, in our hearts, and in our lives? Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>
1: and the blessed little son. Milkmaids left their fields and flocks and sat beside the ass and ox. Jesus, Jesus, rest your head. You has got a manger bed. All the
0: Now with the boldness of children of God, let us pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation in peace, to shine forth the light of Christ to all whom you meet. Amen.